Coach, how about a beer? Forget it, Harry. And now, Sam says I can't serve you anymore. You're a flim flam. Oh, no, no, it ain't for me. I'm expecting a friend. A friend? Yeah, yeah. He asked me to order it for him. <laughs> he did. He did. In fact, he, uh, he, uh, he, he wrote it down. Uh, one beer. Now, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Wait one minute. One minute, Harry. Let me see that. Yeah, one beer. <laughs> Harry, I just had to make sure. Okay. Uh, that'll be one buck. A buck. Let's see. Uh, gosh, I thought I had it, darling. Well, I got a ten. You got change? Absolutely. There you go. Five and four ones. Oh, hey. look at this. I have a buck after all. <coughs> uh, I don't need the change, Coach. Why don't you give me my ten back? Right. Oh. Right. There <laughs> uh, you go. There you go. Uh, wait, wait. No. Coach, I don't want to carry around all these bills. Listen, give me a 20 for the whole thing. What do you say? Nobody move. Ah, oh, come on. Coach, don't you see what he's doing? I mean, he's shortchanging you. Oh, no, no, Sam. He's outsmarted me before, but not this time. No way. Believe me. Coach, how much money are you giving him? 20 bucks. How much is he giving you? Oh, darn you, Harry. <laughs> to keep in practice. Coach, I'll tell you what. I'll give you a $30 bill. We'll call it even, okay? What do you think, Sam? There's no such thing as a $30 bill, You want to bet? <laughs> Get out of my bar, Harry. Come on. Wait a minute. Stool, wait stool. a minute. You owe me 10 bucks. What is this, a clip joint? I'm sorry. Here, now go on. You know, Sam, you know, you got the wrong idea about me. You no, really I don't. Do. Now, Harry, you got 10 seconds to get out of my bar and give me back my watch. <laughs> I'm trying to help you guys out. I mean, if you want to upgrade a little bit, I got to say it. everybody, the Dave Juskow Show, The Nightfly, with Dave Juskow. Welcome to the first day of May, 2018. Thank God it's May, we like to say, on this day, because it's been a horrible winter on the East Coast, and May finally may bring some relief. I've always said, a perfect life for me would be to live in... New York City or the West Coast, uh, mostly New York City, of course. You know, I'm confused of where I want to live eventually. But uh, New York City, from the months, uh, well, you know, until January, you know, you'd be here for the fall, which we love, and, you know, the holidays, which are fun. And then right after New Year's, it's horrible, just horrible, you know, unless you just look forward to football, which is, you know, which I do. So I can say, let's leave January 2nd or let's leave February 1st and let's go to California. And I'm seriously, California, even if you don't like Los Angeles, Dave Jessica doesn't really like Los Angeles, but somewhere where it's always beautiful until at least May 1st. And quite frankly, knowing the way the weather patterns have been, you got to go either May 15th or even June 1st. But I'd say you can come back on May 1st because that's when hopefully it really clears out because people are fooled if you think April is okay. You know, people, they, they get fooled every year. Like, well, I suppose it's April already. Why is it snowing? Why is it cold? Why is it rainy? Because that's what it does in April. So finally in May, it usually clears up. May is usually a lovely month, but 
You know, the first two weeks still could be deadly. So the perfect lifestyle would be to come back and live here from uh, May 1st till January 1st and then live anywhere else. And that's the funny thing when we think about, you know, when we're all complaining about the weather, you know, it's something we can actually do something about. For some reason, we choose not to. But we can we can fix it. We can go to a place where it never rains and it never snows and it never gets cold which would be Southern California or Arizona. I mean, you know, we're, uh, apparently it snows sometimes, but like once. And, and it does rain in California in January, but for like 10 minutes. Every day you wake up, you don't have to decide what to wear. It's always going to be the same temperature. And it's hilarious when people in Los Angeles are like, oh, it's so hot today. And I'm like, you don't know what hot is. So why don't you shut up? Because remember, in California... You go under a tree, and all of a sudden, you're cool. It's not like in New York, where there's no relief, not even at nighttime. And that's the thing. As hot as it is in California, at nighttime, it's always going to be comfortable. You don't get the relief here. People don't know what we used to go through before air conditioning. Well, you're saying, Dave, what's the story with that? I mean, you've had air conditioning your whole life. You're not that old. I'm like, well, maybe that's true. But when I first moved out, I had no air conditioning. I didn't have an air conditioning. Air conditioners were expensive. They still are expensive. So my first uh, three apartments, I had no air conditioning. And it was horrible. And I had a girlfriend living with me at the time. And I think that's why we probably broke up because I'm like, why don't you shut up? Because, you know, you're just so grating when it's so hot. You just had a fan. Oh, my God. What a horrible time to live. What a horrible time to be alive. Seriously, I just, oh, God, I don't even know how I made it through. I really don't. I really don't. I was so miserable that... Uh, I, I really just don't know how I made it. I mean, I know Howard Stern helped a lot. Knowing he was going to come on in the mornings, that was very helpful. It really was. And my life, I guess, I have to look at it, you know, even though I'm complaining about it all the time, kind of. It's it's definitely better. Um, you know, it's not where I want it to be, but I mean, how many people are? You know, how many people? How many people, besides, you know, the people that I know, like Sarah Silverman, uh, and and Atel maybe well Atel never admitted, but I mean Sarah like there's somebody who's like planned her life to a T to where it actually worked out the exact way she planned it. I mean that's a that's a goddamn miracle. I don't I don't think I know anyone else. I mean I'm thinking about my brother-in-law now who definitely had expectations and they are not worked out. What his plans were and he has friends that you know it did work out. We all have friends where it actually worked out. Or they actually said, this is what I'm going to do when you're sitting there and you're drinking with them, you're getting high with them, and they're like, yeah, I got plans. And, um, you know, and that's so rare. But, yeah, Sarah Silverman is an outstanding example of somebody who had a complete plan after quitting college and saying, yeah, don't worry about it. I know exactly what I'm doing. Telling her parents, don't worry. Hey, I'll be fine. Don't worry about it. I mean, her plan worked perfect. I, I, I don't think she could go to any other level this is what she wanted to be a, a stand-up comic who makes movies and tv shows and does whatever the hell she wants and like she said to me many years ago i want to do the little amount of work possible and make the most amount of money and she has done it i mean this girl is an evil genius i mean she's obviously very smart you can't i really think and we've talked about it before i don't think you can make it to a certain level, for certainly a prolonged period of time, 
if you're not bright. Let's look at Suzanne Summers for a second. It's just coming to my mind. I'm not, I don't have a plan. I don't have a written down or anything. I'm just thinking of Suzanne Summers. I don't know why, right? I'm thinking of somebody who comes off like a complete bimbo, right, when you first meet her in Three's Company. Maybe we can ask Richard Klein about this when we get him in. Who, but she must be smart because her career, after thinking about the unbelievable pitfall that she has, which, you know, movies have been made about and stuff, and TV movies, of course, because nobody really cares. But, I mean, leaving a successful show and, and being kind of blacklisted and, and the ability to, to come back, star in two more TV shows, and then come up with an exercise product, which, you know, was on, you know, everybody knew about it, the thigh master, and to keep in shape and be smart about that and just, I mean... That is a prolonged 20-year, 30-year career out of nothing. She, she must be smart in some way. I mean, because even if you're not smart, you have to be smart enough to find the people who make you look that smart. So, I mean, if she's wealthy, I mean, I think about, you know, if you were alive when Three's Company was happening, when she got kicked off this show, it was like a big deal. I mean, that was a really successful show, and she left... And everyone knew why. And it was all over the, the tabloids and everything. And everybody knew. And everybody hated her. So she's demanding more money. You know, they don't know the real story, kind of, that she was manipulated. But it's uh, classic. And then to make a comeback and, you know, leave that guy that kind of ruined you and move along. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big deal. Or like I said, you know, find somebody who you're smart enough to know is going to help you. You're certainly pretty enough to be in Hollywood. How can you use your looks as a thing? Well, I'll tell other people how to get my looks. And I'll invent this. Well, I'm invent it, but you know what I'm saying. I'll, I mean, somebody must have said, hey, we have this thing as a thigh master. Would you promote it? And she was smart enough to say, that's a good idea. I bet I can do well. And, jeez, uh, I mean, who knows whether that thigh master worked or not, but it sold a lot. And we all know what it is, you know, if you're over a certain age. I mean, it's funny that it doesn't exist now, or maybe it does in a different form, but it was goddamn popular. I mean, that was Jane Fonda shit popular. And there's another one who's very bright, but we know Jane Fonda's smart. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. You know, if you can have, especially as a woman, back then even... Uh, a 30-year career. Event. Yeah, anytime you can go over 20 years for a career, then you've done yourself proud. I mean, look at Julia Roberts, who definitely had a 20-year career. And now because she's older, it's semi-over because she has to take different kind of roles. And that must be very hard for a woman, you know, when men can just go forever. It must be very difficult for a woman to transition into a supporting role, especially when you're the biggest star in the world. And Julia Roberts was the biggest star in the world. I mean, you can just Notting Hill is an example of, you know, like, hey, we have to do this bit where this guy that works at a travel bookshop is dating the most, the biggest actress on the planet. Who can we get for that? Oh, I got an idea. Why don't we ask the biggest actress on the planet if she'll be in our movie? So Julia Roberts was the biggest star on the planet. I mean, it's it, it's so big so that in other movies, they say her as an example. You know, kind of the way Elmer Fudd says that Olivia de Havilland line. <laughs> but, I mean, that's how huge she was. And now she's 
obviously not huge anymore. She takes more supporting roles, maybe a couple of parts, and maybe she's wind down herself. Maybe, I mean, she's always been pretty bright. I mean, when you start off as a teenage actor and you can make it and work yourself up into an Oscar, like Jodie Foster, who started off as a child, that's even better, you got to be pretty bright. Or you got to be bright enough to get the people who are going to surround you with brightness. Dave Juskow has not been able to achieve that in any way, shape, or form. All the people I choose to help are even dumber. Or maybe not dumber, but, you know, evil. I'm so stupid, I can't even choose the right people to help me get to where I want to be. And that's when you know you really are pathetic. But, but plus, I think there's something completely wrong with me. Last week, I took uh, four of the people in my building, the guy that got me out of prison, his wife, who used to be the DA, my friends Kenny and Jody, and I bought a date to Staten Island, where it's a place uh, one of my coworkers at my office owns this wonderful restaurant. I've talked about it before. Cucina Fresco, I think it's called in Staten Island. It's amazing. It's amazing because, and I probably said this a hundred times, but I'm just always still fascinated because, you know, now I was there again recently and I probably haven't been there in a year. It's a pizza place. It's a pizza place in a strip mall in Staten Island. But I tell you that his wife and daughter and, and him treat that place as if it is a five-star Michelin-rated restaurant. And that's what makes it so great. The pride and care they put into this restaurant and how they treat their customers is what makes it so good, let alone the food is delicious. So really, you have the best of both worlds. And to me, it's worth traveling to Staten Island for. Well, I don't mind traveling to Staten Island, but it's worth me getting a bunch of people and going to Staten Island. Hey, let's try out this place. And, and it did not disappoint. This time, I, again, I had the uh, lamps for two. <laughs> I don't know what everybody else was eating. <laughs> but um, it's so great. And uh, by the way, there was this tremendous fat guy, like the you know 500 pounds sitting. That guy, we were waiting outside for our table to be ready. We saw the guy eating, and he didn't stop eating until we left. So we thought he was getting dessert. He was getting, a, for dessert, he was getting another order of calamari. Or how the Italian uh, calamari. Uh, and then he was so shit-faced, he went, I was about to go to the bathroom, I gotta go to the bathroom before I drive home, he went to the bathroom before me, and I was like, oh, god damn, why didn't you tell me he was going to the bathroom, I don't want to go in after that guy, and he was hammered, he could barely stand, it was hilarious, but I mean, how much do you have, I was just watched the um, documentary on Andre the Giant, now, to get buzzed, he needed to have, what was it, they said, tw 20 bottles of wine and 40 beers, he would drink all the time. He never got drunk drunk. I mean, here's a documentary, and nobody ever said he was a horrible drunk. Can you imagine that guy being a bad drunk? I mean, that would be a disaster. Uh, but apparently he was a wonderful guy who just, you know, he could drink 100 beers and, and just be like, oh, I think I'm buzzed, which is hilarious. I mean, so hilarious. So, I mean, how much did this guy have to drink? I mean, this guy was the size of Andre, you know, whatever, in some way, just his waist size alone. I can't believe he didn't pull a uh, shallow howl fall out of the chair thing. But uh, I don't remember seeing him drink that much that he was that wasted. And to get that wasted and eating, it must be a real lightweight. And, you know, what do you say to him when he was walking out, when his friends helping him walk out and we're trying to, like, step aside so he can get through? I say, 
son, fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. <laughs> I mean, how do you not say? How do you not say that? You must say that to him, and there's nothing he can say back, except I know. But uh, anyway, we're all sitting there, right? And uh, and let, listen, tell me if I. All I realized last night is that I don't think I'll ever be married. I, I don't know if I can get married. You know, I want to get married. I want, I'd like to find a wife. But I, now at this point, I don't know. Is it, is it always been this way or whatever? We're sitting at the table. The girls are drinking. I'm not having a drink. Dave Juskow's not drinking because he's driving. I drove everybody. And I understand that people don't like when... It, now, I love drinking and driving. I grew up on drinking and driving. I think I'm a good drunk driver. I, you know, whatever it is. This is my mind. I'm not good getting high and driving. I'm a good drunk driver. Listen, I'm putting it out there. That's what I'm saying. You know, that's the way I feel. And uh, as we say with the tailgates, if you want to get in the car with me, that's your problem. I think I'm a good driver. I'll take you home. But don't start complaining because you know I'm going to be... I'm going to a place where I'm going to be drinking and then driving home... If I feel that I feel good enough to drive home, then I'm going to do it. And if you feel you want to get in the car with me, then that's your problem. And if you don't, don't ask me like, well, do you really feel you can drive? I'm like, screw you. You get in the the car, you don't take the train home. What do you want me to do? You knew the plan. It wasn't like I was getting drunk and it wasn't expected. This was the plan. Anyway, so this time I say, you know, I know the DA doesn't like when I drink. Okay, right? I'll let I'll be like, okay, because last time I was I had like one glass of I had two glasses of wine last time and she was eyeing me. So I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm not gonna drink at all this time. I won't make anybody uncomfortable. I won't make my passengers uncomfortable. And then her husband, who's like eighty one, says to me, uh, I'm glad you're not drinking. I appreciate that. I'm like, okay, see, so I did the right thing. So I let everybody else drink. It's bring your own wine, and my date brings a skinny girl margarita. You know, whatever that is that Bethany Frankel invented, which all the ladies like. So uh, they're all drinking and I really couldn't. And I'm saying to myself, it's so funny. I'm saying to myself, you know, I think I could do this. I think I could be. I mean, this is what must be David Tell goes through all the time. I'll be the sober guy and everybody's drunk. And I thought I could handle it. But three girls being completely loaded and the men were completely fine was more than I could take. I, I snapped. When it came, everything was fine, and then when it came to the dessert, I I was looking forward to the dessert there. They either um, uh, squeeze the cannoli cream into the cannolis in front of you, which I like, or last time I had this unbelievable root beer float, which no one has on the menu for dessert. So I was like, if he has that again, I'll get it. But Kenny's wife just gets, she's a horrible drunk, a horrible drunk. So I was actually, I thought she wasn't going to drink that much, but she's just, the problem is, and if this was sexist, I'm sorry, but when women, well, men too, I mean, it's just, it's just who happens. It was the, the women in my life. When they become unreasonable from drinking, it is intolerable and it, and it makes me snap. And it happened to this one girl, Trish, that I liked very much. When they become unreasonable, when they don't seem to know they're drunk. You know, when people say you're drunk, I'm like, I know, I know. Or Rachel knows. You know, Rachel knows. She's like, I'm smashed. And then she admits it. So she's not unreasonable. You know, do you know what I'm saying? These are just bad drunks. And I guess that could be with a man, too. It just don't have a lot of dealings with men. Like, I'm like, you know, if I know a guy's drunk, I'm going out with him. I know he's drunk. But it's still going to be different. I'm sorry. I'm right as sexist as that may be. 
These three girls become unreasonable. They're bad drunks. And I know this, but I guess because I thought we were at a restaurant, they're not going to get drunk. But it happens. Uh, so they had like two or three bottles of wine. Change. Jody kept spilling stuff. Her pocket was kept going out. Oh, it's driving me crazy. You know, that's the other thing. I can't stand with women to keep spilling stuff or dropping stuff. It drives me insane. I don't know why. It's just so sloppy. So we say the dessert and everybody just screamed. The girls just go, no, 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 no. Now, the one girl from the DA's, her husband's 81 years old. She doesn't want him getting dessert. That's a different story. <laughs> no, he's already had too much. You know, she's got a... <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, nobody cares about me. I mean, my date, I don't think she was worried that I was getting... Maybe she was. I don't know. And it was a date. Uh, and Jody, I don't know what she was talking about. Her husband's, you know, a heavier guy. He doesn't, she doesn't care, but he was trying to be good, I guess. But, I mean, you don't have to scream no. It's my night. Can I put the whole thing together? My friend owns the place. Don't scream no. Let's just take a look at the menu. Let me have a cup of coffee. I'm driving everybody. I can't sit and leisurely have a cup of coffee. What is the rush? And that's the bottom line. What's the rush? I don't go out to dinner very often. And I've said this on the show before. So I like to have a nice day. If I'm going to spend a lot of money on one day, which I don't have, well, let's make a night out of it. If you don't, have, if you have kids and you got a babysitter, I get it. I completely get it. So when I, I I'm, when I'm out with Lee and Laura, I get it. They got a babysitter. The clock is ticking. They got plenty of money, but still, I get that. I get it. And that would be me too. Um, none of us have kids. Nobody. Well, actually, my date has kids. She's got two kids, but she, they're with her father. So, what's the rush? She's not picking them up tonight. There's no rush. But it seemed like everybody was rushing. They're like, no, we're not. And we're like, no. But it was, it, that's the way. I'm like, well, can't we just talk about it if we're going to have dessert? Like in a leisurely fact. This is Dave Juskow saying this, right? Because I'm like usually like yelling at everybody. I know. I don't get my way. It's horrible. But I'm like, can't we just discuss dessert? Maybe I want. Isn't that selfish of everybody else? Well, what if I want dessert and coffee? I like having dessert and coffee after. Everybody knows I like to have coffee after because I like to sit home and watch TV till 7 o'clock in the morning. That's the way I run my weekends. Even if I have a girlfriend, she knows I'm going to watch TV all weekend and they can go to bed. I'll see you in the morning. You would think most girls would like that kind of stuff. I'm not looking to go out and party anymore. I just want to go home and watch TV. Seems like an okay deal. Plus, the person driving home should be able to have a cup of coffee. Anyway, we decide they do have the root beer floats, but the, the Jody was mean about it. He's like, he wants the root beer. I'm like, why don't we look at the menu see if they even have it? That was a special last time. So why do you got to put the guy in a tight spot? It was driving me crazy. They were having no respect for the fact that I was friendly with the owners. That, that was another issue. Anyway, so my date keeps looking at her watch. She's like, but it's 1030. And that, that made me flip out. Then I go, what the fuck is the matter with you? What's the difference if it's 1030? I'm, I'm, I'm doing the justice. You can see how riled up I was. I felt horrible. I flipped. I should never talk to a girl like that. But it was she was going crazy. It's ten, she was pointing at her watch like a Leonard's mother in the Big Bang Theory where she goes, you told me we were going to see your lab at 1 p.m. It's 1 p.m. now. He's like, mother, we have time. But it's 1 p.m. She was being like Sheldon Cooper. I mean, it... it, it, it 
it was weird. 10.30 on a Saturday? What, what are we, 12? Are you kidding? So? Are you driving? What? What? Why did you? I, you had to be home by 11? I, what? What's happening here? I was completely confused until I just realized I wouldn't apologize because uh, the DA said, hey, don't talk to her like that. And I'm, but I wouldn't apologize because I had a feeling she's just drunk. She's not even going to remember. I could call her today. She's probably not. Oh, that was a good time last night. She's not going to remember. Why is she pushing me? 10.30? Seriously, what, are we, are we ch- children? Maybe because she has children, she thinks she has to get home. I don't know. Even when I have my cat and I couldn't wait to get home, I, st- I mean, I still never rushed. It's going to be another 15 minutes while I, uh, you know, have a cannoli and a cup of coffee. Are you kidding? So we had the, the, the so we got three root beer floats for the men. They were delicious. They were ridiculously delicious. Understand that he puts the root beer in the ice cream and then covers it with that um, magic shell, you know, <laughs> like uh, chocolate stuff. Come on. I'm not watching my weight. I should be watching my weight, but I'm not. I'm going to have that damn root beer float. It was goddamn delicious. And he makes it with anything. If you want orange, you want Coke. Whatever the hell you want, we all had root beer floats. The three men had root beer floats. We deserved it. And it was delicious. And then I said, get me a cup of coffee, you know, for the road. And then they bought the cup of coffee immediately. And then everybody started to panic that I was tired. I wasn't tired at all. I don't know why. In my mind, I hadn't been drinking. I was well rested. I had no problems. I wasn't completely full. I planned it perfectly for driving very important people home. But when the coffee came, they all panicked. I'm like, I'm just taking it for the ride. Oh, my God. I said, bring it to me when I leave. I said, please don't bring it to the table. They, you know, they had other people there. They didn't know what was going on. And, uh, and that coffee was delicious. God damn, this guy was the best coffee I ever had. It was like a cappuccino, but it wasn't. It was the most perfect coffee ever. It was delicious. I can't believe nobody else wanted some. So... I drove everybody home. It was a pleasant drive. The DA girl is just screaming. She is a horrible back. She goes, David, I'll tell you how to go. I'm like, I don't need your help. I was calm the whole time and, until it just got too late. David, this isn't the way to go. And I'm like, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. She's been drinking. So I let it I mean, who tells people to drive like that? You know, again, it's just like you're accepting my ride. Like I've told you before. I don't like the way my brother-in-law drives. He drives like a goddamn maniac. So I have chosen not to drive with him anymore. I've told my sister, I don't want to drive with your husband anymore. He's horrible. Like, I trust him, but he drives too fast. It's like a show-off fast. It's weird. He doesn't drive a Maserati. So I've chosen, if I can, not to drive with him anymore. I'll let Dory or Liza drive. Or my sister, even though my sister drives us, she does whatever Matt does, so she's not that great either. But uh, I'll drive with anyone else, not him. I'll drive with my mother before I would drive with Matt. I don't like driving with him. So why is this girl even accepting the ride? If she hates my driving so much, even though she knows I'm a good driver, why is she even accepting the ride? Like, why does she say, I'll tell you what, we'll meet you there. That's what I would say if somebody was a crappy driver. But everybody accepts the ride. All those girls, they accept the ride. When you've been drinking, like, hey, you want to ride home? Like, I don't know how much have you had to drink. 
yeah, you're probably right. You should take the train. Well, no. I mean, how much do you think you can drive? Yeah, I think I can drive. I'm offering you a ride home. You can choose it or not. They're always going to choose the ride. They're always going to choose the ride. So why bother asking me? I feel comfortable enough that I can get you home safely. I would never put somebody in a situation where I felt I really couldn't make it. Or I would warn them ahead of time. And I would say, do you guys maybe want to drive? I don't, I'm not feeling up to it today. It's very important to be honest with somebody. They're always going to take that ride. They're always going to take that ride. Fellas, you know what I'm talking about? Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. You can say it a hundred times. I wouldn't go on that ride. You will. If you're stuck in the middle of nowhere, when I say nowhere, I mean like if it's a ride from, uh, from Manhattan to Astoria and you prefer not to take a cab and spend the money or a train, you're going to take that ride. If you're older now, I was talking about like when you're 22 and stuff. Meanwhile, we're talking about Lee's wife, Laura, who will always take the ride because she doesn't want to take the train. I say take the train. If you're going to complain about my driving, take the damn train. It's right there. I always want to help Laura. They're always nice to me. But if you're going, you know the circumstance. Don't put it on me that I'm the asshole here. Oh, well, I don't know. I still don't know how to take it. I don't know whether I'm an asshole. I mean, I flipped. I, why, why would that make me flip? I don't know. I'm insane, obviously. I have to go out with somebody, first of all, that knows how to eat properly, that wants dessert. This woman is way too thin. I have to go out with somebody a little larger. It's very obvious. Somebody who enjoys eating. Somebody who enjoys, you know, leisurely dining. <laughs> and somebody who appreciates a very comfy ride home in a child molesting van. So there. Now. That all being said, let's uh, talk about what we uh, the clip we played up front today, which was uh, the opening of Cheers. Uh, because Harry Anderson, who was the judge in Night Court, died very young, very young. That guy seemed ridiculously healthy and really white and healthy. Like I mean, just you know, he just seemed like a real white guy. Um, he just died. I like, you know, my, I don't know why he was chosen to be on Night Court. I guess that was a good choice, a little zany. But I liked his character on Cheers. You know, I watched Cheers a lot. And I liked when he played th- that kind of uh, shifty guy on Cheers, you know. Um, they called him Harry the Hand or something like that. And that was his character. You know, he was a stand-up comic, and that was his character. He was mostly a magician. I like those kind of guys that are old-time magicians, but they're really good magicians. And he was funny, too. So there's another stand-up comic that got uh, really good work in sitcoms and got to be on Cheers like uh, three or four times. And, you know, like actually then became, you know, I like that character because he was always trying to scam the people to Cheers for money, very little money. And then he ended up helping them out sometimes and picking on other scam artists, which, you know, what's been it's very much like the like Dexter, you know, uh, and like, um, for instance, this is one of my favorite episodes where this con man is picking on Coach. They're playing cards all every day, but he's a con man, so he's been stealing Coach's money, although Coach doesn't know. And then they call Harry to uh, get him back, you know, to, and uh, I think this is uh, what transpires. I can have three queens in my hand at any given time. Mm-hmm. All I need to know is when he can't beat that. 
mean like a sign, huh? Yeah. Sam, please, let me give this sign. Sam, all this trouble's on account of me, Sam. Please, let me give this sign, please. I don't know, Coach. I mean, that's kind of tricky, isn't it? Well, he is the last person Harry would figure being in on anything clever. <laughs> Just don't screw it up. Come here, Coach. Now, give your sign the first time Harry can't beat three queens. Three queens. Now, what's the sign? Uh, let me see. Uh, I'll rub my nose like this. It's the old bunt sign. Got it. Okay, good night, everybody. George, you need a ride downtown? I'm afraid they're on to us, Harry. On to what? They figured out our little prank. Oh, well, I... <clears throat> Come on, Sam. Times are hard, you know? A guy's got to do what he can. Harry, I was never much of a team player. Especially with Boston small-timers. Why don't you and me play a little one-on-one -on -one for the whole jackpot? You know, Moe, I was never too impressed by Arizona hustlers. Except they got good sinuses. <laughs> Mind if I deal? No. What's the game? Five card draw, no limit. Here's your hat. Fine. And he's a yard. What? A hundred dollars. Pay attention. Gee. I'll bet two. It's covered. What do you need? <laughs> one. Dealer takes one. Oh, George, did you see that? <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> George, I scratched my nose because it was itchy. Right, I saw you do that. It was really itchy, George. But that's why you scratched it. Exactly. Hey, stimulating conversation, huh? Are you playing cards or what? It's George's bet. Harry, let's stop fooling around. Now I'm going into my private stash. Ten grand. Oh, I like those socks. <laughs> Recover. Three little ladies. Four threes? That can't be. Seeing is believing, Mom. George, why did you make the bet? Because you scratched your nose, you idiot! But I told you why I scratched my nose! <laughs> okay, that doesn't. Harry, I never want to see you come through that door again. Don't worry, Malone, you won't. <laughs> you caused me to lose a fortune, you old fool. You're a stupid, blundering moron! But he's certain to lose his money! Ooh. What a nice... I don't believe the whole thing happened. I feel so... used. <laughs> I 
Wow, come on, what are you doing? Oh, Sammy, I think he snapped. Come on, coach. <laughs> He's laughing. <laughs> what are you laughing at? That! <laughs> One board every minute, huh, coach? <laughs> You're not even close, Sam. Yeah, he is. Oh, that's it exactly. <laughs> Come on. You know, if you can, uh, that's a really well-written episode. It's it's exciting. There's drama. You know, good poker things like Casino Royale are always very entertaining. And if it, if you can write a good poker scene that you can watch over and over again, it's it's pretty good, especially for a stupid TV show. So the fact that that guy, Harry Anderson, could bring, you know, every time I see it, I get excited when he comes through the bathroom window again, when he turns out he was in on it and helping everybody out. That's why I let the scene play out, because it's kind of cool. It always makes me happy. And then I'm always like, you know, that guy's pretty cool. That character. And it turned out, I mean, I didn't hear anything ill will about that dude or anything. He wasn't part of the Harvey Weinstein stuff or anything. Uh, so, R.I.P., Harry Anderson, one of my favorite scenes. Uh, and just a really great character. A great character in that Cheers thing. Again, the Night Court, who cares? Dave's World, nobody cares. But what a great character that would be to play uh, all the time. Kind of the, what they call it, the flim-flam man or whatever. You know, like the uh, the potion guy at the carnival. Like the, like the Wizard of Oz guy. You know, like the wizard. Uh, I like that. And he was, always, and he was dressed cool. Um, also, a lot of deaths this, uh, this week. Also, uh, Milos Forman died. And Milos Forman was way cool and interesting because he was one of those guys that um, directed, you know, like a, a, a bunch of classics, but didn't work very often. You know, he wasn't like those guys that do, like, certainly wasn't like Woody Allen who does one movie a year. He would make every, he would make a movie, like Stanley Kubrick, make a movie every five years or more, and they would always be epic. So this is a guy that did One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and then for some reason Hair, <laughs> and Amadeus, and Heartburn, uh, something I think about all the time, working with Jack Nicholson again, uh, Valmont, Colin Firth and uh, the People versus Larry Flint and Man on the Moon, and he won two Oscars. But look at the dates: One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest '75, Hair in '79, Amadeus in '84. That was the next film. Uh, the People versus Larry Flint was in '96, and Man on the Moon '99. I mean, this guy just took a lot of time off. I guess took his time and made epic films i mean um one flew over the cuckoo's nest is i, I don't know if you've ever seen it before but it is uh i've seen the play and the movie and as long as you get you know a jack nicholson somebody good enough to play that role you're in good
son of a bitch, chief. Can you hear me, too? Yeah, you bad. Well, I'll be goddamn chief. And they all, they all think you're, you're deaf and dumb. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you fooled them, chief. You fooled them, you fooled them all. What's us two guys doing in this fucking place? Let's get out of here. Out. Canada. Canada. We'll be there before these son of a bitches know what hit them. Was he doing the Joker there? We'll be out of there before these son of a bitches know what hit them. Wait till they get a load of me. Classic stuff. One flew over the cuckoo's nest, but really my favorite one is Amadeus. I loved Amadeus. I actually went to Broadway to see Amadeus because... Mark Hamill was playing Amadeus. Mark Hamill was my hero. So the force was with Amadeus on that day. But as you know, in the movie, it's our, uh, our good friend Tom Hulse. So that means that our whole solar system could be like one tiny atom in the fingernail of some other giant being. Oh, this is too much. That means that one tiny atom in my fingernail could be, could be one little tiny universe. Could I buy some pot from you? Classic. Uh, so that guy... You know, uh, we were so happy when he appeared in uh, this movie. I know your work well, signore. Do you know why I actually composed some variations on a melody of yours? Oh, really? Which one? Mio caro adonne. Well, I'm flattered. A funny little tune, but it yielded some good things. And now he has returned the compliment. Herr Salieri composed this little march of welcome for you. Really? Oh. Grazie, signore. Sono commosso. Well, there it is. Now, on to business. Young man, we're going to commission an opera from you. What do you say? Majesty. Uh, did we vote in the end for German or Italian? Well, actually, sir, if you remember, we did finally incline to Italian. Uh, did we? I don't think it was really decided, Your Majesty. Oh, German. German, please, let it be German. Why so? Because I've already found the most wonderful libretto. Oh, have I seen it? I, uh, I don't think you have, Herr Director. Not yet. I mean, it's quite new. I'll show it to you immediately, of course. I think you'd better. Well, uh, 
Tell us about it. Tell us the story. Well, it's quite amusing, Majesty. It's set. The, the, the whole thing is set in, 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 uh, in, in, uh, Yes. Where? In a harem, Majesty. In a seraglio. Uh -huh. You mean in Turkey? Yes, exactly. Then why especially does it have to be in German? Well, it doesn't especially. It could be in Turkish if you really want. <laughs> now, my dear fellow, the language is not finally the point. Do you really think that subject is quite appropriate for a national theater? Why not? It's charming. I mean, I, I won't actually show concubines exposing their, their... <laughs> it's not indecent. It's highly moral, Majesty. It's, it's, it's full of proper German virtues. Excuse me, Majesty, but uh, what do you think these could be? Uh, being a foreigner, I would love to learn. Well, tell him, Mozart, name us a German virtue. Love, sire. Oh, love! Well, of course, in Italy we know nothing about love. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think you do. I mean, watching Italian opera, all those male sopranos screeching, stupid fat couples rolling their eyes about, that's not love, it's, it's, it's just rubbish. <laughs> Majesty, you choose the language. It will be my task to set it to the finest music ever offered a monarch. Oh, there it is. Let it be German. Oh, this is yours. Keep it, Majesty, if you want. It's already here in my head. Oh, this is where you really what? let Salieri have it. On one hearing only? I think so, sire. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, oh. You tell him, Mozart! Show us. Show us. You hear all that floor creaking? This is horrible movie making. This guy won Best Director?
there it is. Uh, I love harpsichord stuff. I don't know why I always have. That's why I didn't want a piano. I wanted a harpsichord. Either that or a glockenspiel. But there it is. Now, the emperor, played by Jeffrey Jones, who keeps saying, well, there it is. In fact, um, I think somebody compiled uh, a bunch of him saying, there it is. Well, there it is. Huh. Well, there it is. Well, there it is. Well, there it is. Now. Right. So uh, Jeffrey Jones, the principal from Ferris Bueller's. Now, I don't believe it was Jono who told us this, but I just saw that that's how he got cast in Ferris Bueller is that John Hughes was watching Amadeus and said, that guy is hilarious and would make a great high school principal. The one who just says, there it is, because I remember watching the movie and be like, this emperor is so funny and he's obviously kind of an idiot. But he has, he's an idiot, but he has this power. So it does seem like the perfect character. Uh, and as we know, Jeffrey Jones was a much better actor than just this character, um, you know, before he was a child molestation. But um, the character is very similar. It's a, a man in complete authority who, you know, somehow got to be emperor because he doesn't seem very bright. And just kind of walks through life. And that's so much the principal in Ferris Bueller, who, you know, is kind of an idiot, but has this authority position somehow. And uh, obviously doesn't like to be made the fool. And uh, so, you know, that's why Mozart was kissing his very smart. He was kissing his ass the whole time. Because if Mozart was more like Ferris Bueller, well, the emperor would be very angry, very angry. You don't want to get the Emperor of Megan. That Mozart did it perfectly. And you know what's funny when you listen to it, though, is that they're talking about... I always remember that part. He goes, oh, could I do it in German, sir? I guess I remember it for two reasons. Number one, who would the hell want to do anything in German? Because it sounds like Klingon, number one. Number two, you know, who's the anti-Semite that ever wants to do anything in German? And number three, is it that easy that he can just choose? I mean, how smart do you have to be to not only write this great music, but he goes, oh, I can do it in German or Italian. You want me to do it in Turkish? Yeah, whatever you want. I mean, I'm just, I remember sitting in the theater going like, oh my God, I'm so jealous. Are you telling me people can just write it in any language? They can do that? They have people that do that? I mean, that's amazing. I'm so jealous. Oh, let me do it in German, sir. Oh, please let me do it in German. Um, so I always remember that, but then, uh, what was I going to say about that? Oh, no, I don't remember. Oh, darn. Oh, I know what it was. It was Tom Holst, the fact that he was just American and not doing any accent. And uh, Jeffrey Jones, both Americans, everybody else is doing a British accent. Milos Forman was Czech. So that movie is all fakakta in that sense. But we go through that all the time. So that's not that big a deal. But let me tell you this, this Milos Forman, how did he, he won Best Director twice. And like there wasn't a big thing. I mean, think about that. Martin Scorsese's only won once. I think Spielberg's only won once. This guy, Milos Forman, has won twice. He was nominated more times, but he won twice. It's kind of interesting in that there was only a blurb in the paper saying he died. So the year in 1975 for films, uh, 
he was up, and I think he won because a lot of the things we talk about, there wasn't a lot of other stuff that year. So he beat Robert Altman for Nashville. He beat Stanley Kubrick for Barry Lyndon. He beat, I don't, oh, Federico Fellini. Well, he's good. Uh, and Sidney Lamette for Dog Day Afternoon. So it makes sense. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was the most uh, popular one, so it would make, and it was definitely well-directed. And that movie also, uh, interestingly, hold on, um, was the, and it was Michael Douglas who hired Milos for him. Michael Douglas, I didn't even know he had that kind of power in 1975. What is that, Streets of San Francisco power? He bought the uh, rights to the Ken Kesey novel and hired... You know, Milo's foreman to do it. He didn't put himself in it. I can't even believe that's so unselfish. It's unbelievable. So, what do they say? It's uh, the film won Oscars in the five. It, no, the, the way they say it. Hold on. It was um, uh, became the second film to win all five major Academy Awards. The second film uh, since it happened one night in 1934, which is a comedy. It won act, best picture, actor in a leading role. Actress in a leading role, director, and screenplay. So won the whole damn thing. And let's face it, it was a good. And for to make a play into a movie that's successful, that's very rare too. Very rare. Well, I guess for musicals more so. But so for the other one, in uh, for Amadeus uh, folklore in 1985, uh, the the thing being 1984, and obviously. Uh, Ferris Bueller coming out in 86, so it made sense. Uh, as we know, F. Murray Abraham won. And I thought right at the end he was going to say, you know, that Kim Novak had some big breasts. That's from Seinfeld. So he, so they couldn't win all the categories because uh, Tom Hulse and F. Murray Abraham were both nominated uh, together. Uh, but I uh, agree with the, uh, the choice. And... Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just see Geraldine Page was nominated in actress supporting role, and if I remember correctly, she must have won the year after. She was nominated for the Pope of Greenwich Village, but she must have won the year after because I always remember, and I probably said it on the show before, um, F. Murray Abraham came out the next year to give the award to Geraldine Page, and he opens the envelope and he goes, ah, the person who I consider the finest actress in the American theater is Geraldine Page. I remember it was so pompous so goddamn pompous i thought he was doing a solitary character so in 1985 he beat out robert benton in places of the heart nobody cares uh he beat out david lean a passage to india and roland jarvey the killing fields and beat out woody allen for broadway danny rose now quite frankly anyone who listens to this podcast knows damn well that woody allen should have won for broadway danny rose but i don't mind giving it up to milo's form because amadeus is kick-ass shit kick-ass shit now, Broadway Danny Rose is kick-ass shit in a completely different way. Now, th- I mean, the fact that he was nominated for Broadway Danny Rose at least shows us that people worship Woody Allen the way we do, if not today, then back then. And Broadway Danny Rose is, quite frankly, a bit of a masterpiece. But because it's a comedy, it doesn't get any, uh, any play. But Amadeus is great. It's great. It's exciting. It's entertaining. It's musical, it's comedy. It was very good and something the likes of something we hadn't seen before, whereas Broadway Danny Rose, we've seen we've seen it before in Woody Allen movies. It's, it wasn't groundbreaking. 
I feel Amadeus. So I'm no problem with that. But you can see who he's nominated against. And it's funny because we say that a lot of times our favorite people get screwed because they're up against, you know, the Godfather or something. You know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You, you just screwed that year, you know? So, uh, so then this guy, though, he directed uh, uh, The People versus Larry Flint as well which he actually, I believe he won a Golden Globe for Best Director. And that was a great movie, too. That was, again, like, um, I don't know, like Amadeus in the sense it's this grand piece, which was just very entertaining. Not something I would care to see, but I did see it, and I loved it. I think I was just angry that Courtney Love was it. I don't care to see her in any movies. But clearly, Milo's foreman must have been in love with Courtney Love, or she must have been blowing him. Because she doesn't seem like that great a gal. A gal, of course, if we met her and she was here right now, uh, I'd probably feel different. Maybe she is great. She must be great in some way. Because he used her again in the Andy Kaufman thing, Man, Man on the Moon. So, how about this guy? He likes working with the same folks, and that same folks happens to be for some reason Courtney Love. But think about this: Man on the Moon. He ends up working with. Danny DeVito again, he's directing Man on the Moon. Danny DeVito is the producer of the film. Danny DeVito casts himself as Andy Kaufman's manager. And Danny DeVito was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Had a very small part, played one of the patients. You've probably seen him. He has a lot of screen time. I don't think he says anything. He's mute. But he's in One Flew Over the Cougar's Nest as one of the mental patients. Remember, he was just an actor. And how great is that? Maybe he called Milos Foreman. Hey, you should direct this. So the little part he gave this guy came back and he said, why don't you do this? And in Man on the Moon, he had to also call back Christopher Lloyd to play part of the taxi scene with Andy Kaufman as Latka. And Christopher Lloyd was in One Flew Over the Cougar's Nest. Also, as a mental patient with Danny DeVito. And perhaps, maybe that's why Christopher Lloyd got on Taxi. Who knows? I like that kind of shit. I like when directors are working with other people, again, that they've used in other films 20 years previous. I think that's kind of cool. Also, when you were seeing the Taxi scene, it was kind of funny because Danny DeVito couldn't be in it any of the taxi scenes, they used Mary Lou Henner, they used Judd Hirsch, they used Christopher Lloyd, they even brought in Jeff Conaway for a second, uh, but they couldn't use Danny DeVito because he was playing another character. How funny is that? I love that kind of shit. I love it. So that's uh, interesting only to people like us that love this podcast and love doing this podcast and bringing it to you. On a daily basis. Or a weekly basis. Our other death this week, or last week, or two weeks ago, R. Lee Ernie. And of course, you remember him from this. I am Gunnery Sergeant Hartman, your senior drill instructor. From now on, you will speak only when spoken to. And the first and last words out of your filthy sewers will be, sir. Do you maggots understand that? Sir. Sir, yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sound off like you got a pair. Sir, yes, 
leave my island, if you survive recruit training, you will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death praying for war. But until that day, you are pukes. You are the lowest form of life on earth. You are not even human fucking beings. You are nothing but unorganized, grabastic pieces of amphibian shit. Because I am hard, you will not like me. But the more you hate me, the more you will learn. I am hard, but I am fair. There is no racial bigotry here. I do not look down on niggers, kites, wops, or greasers. Here you are all equally worthless. And my orders are to weed out all non-hackers who do not pack the gear to serve in my beloved car. Do you maggots understand that? Sir, yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sir, yes, sir. What's your name, scumbag? Sir, Private Brown, sir! Bullshit, from now on you're Private Snowball. Do you like that name? Sir, yes, sir! Well, there's one thing that you won't like, Private Snowball. They don't serve fried chicken and watermelon on a daily basis in my mess hall. Sir, yes, sir! That you, John Wayne? Is this me? Who said that? Who the fuck said that? Who's the slimy little communist shit-twinkle-toed cocksucker down here who just signed his own death warrant? Nobody, huh? The very fucking godmother said it. I'll fucking stand it. I will PT you all until you fucking die. I'll PT you until you're asshole for sucking buttermilk. Was it you, you scroungy little fuck, huh? Sir, no, sir. You little piece of shit, you look like a fucking worm. I'll bet it was you. Sir, no, sir. Sir, I said it, sir. Well, no shit. What have we got here? A fucking comedian, private joker. I admire your honesty. Hell, I like you. You can come over to my house and fuck my sister. <clears throat> you little scumbag. I got your name. I got your ass. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Now get up. Get on your feet. You had best unfuck yourself or I will unscrew your head and check down your neck. Sir, yes, sir. Private Joker, why did you join my beloved corps? Sir, to kill, sir. So you're a killer? Sir, yes, sir. Let me see your war face. Sir? You got a war face? Ah! That's a war face. Now let me see your war face. Ah! Bullshit. You didn't convince me. Let me see your real war face. Ah! You don't scare me. Work on it. Sir, yes, sir. What's your excuse? Sir, excuse for what, sir? I'm asking the fucking questions here, Private. Do you understand? Sir, yes, sir. Well, thank you very much. Can I be in charge for a while? Sir, yes, sir. Are you shook up? Are you nervous? Sir, I am, sir. Do I make you nervous? Sir. Sir, what? Are you about to call me an asshole? Sir, no, sir. How tall are you, Private? Sir, five foot nine, sir. Five foot nine? I didn't know they stacked shit that high. You trying to squeeze an inch in on me somewhere, huh? Sir, no, sir! Bullshit, it looks to me like the best part of you ran down to cracking your mama's ass and ended up as a brown stain on the mattress. I think you've been cheated. Where in hell are you from anyway, Private? Sir, Texas, sir! Holy dog shit, Texas, only steers and queers come from Texas, Private Cowboy. And you don't much look like a steer to me, so that kind of narrows it down. Do you suck dicks? Sir, no, sir! Are you a Peter Pepper? Sir, no, sir! I'll bet you're the kind of guy that would fuck a person in the ass and not even have the goddamn common courtesy to give him a reach around. I'll be watching you. Did your parents have any children that live? Sir, yes, sir! I bet they regret that. You're so ugly you could be a modern art masterpiece. 
What's your name, fat body? Sir Leonard Lawrence, sir. Lawrence, Lawrence, what, of Arabia? Sir, no, sir. That name sounds like royalty. Are you royalty? Sir, no, sir. Do you suck dicks? Sir, no, sir. Bullshit, I'll bet you could suck a golf ball through a garden hose. Sir, no, sir. I don't like the name Lawrence. Only faggots and sailors are called Lawrence. From now on, you're Gomer Pyle. Sir, yes, sir. Do you think I'm cute, Private Pyle? Do you think I'm funny? Sir, no, sir. Then wipe that disgusting grin off your face. Sir, yes, sir. Well, any fucking time, sweetheart. Sir, I'm trying, sir. Private Pyle, I'm going to give you three seconds. Exactly three fucking seconds to wipe that stupid-looking grin off your face, or I will gouge out your eyeballs and skull-fuck you. One, two, three. Sir, I can't help it, sir. shit! get on your knees, scumbag. Now choke yourself. God damn it, with my hand, I'm nuts. Don't pull my fucking hand over there. I said choke yourself. Now lean forward and choke yourself. Are you through grinning? Sir, yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sir, yes, sir. Bullshit, I still can't hear you. Sounds off like you've got a pair. Sir, yes, sir. That's enough. Get on your feet. Private Pyle, you had best square your ass away and start shitting me Tiffany cufflinks, or I will definitely fuck you up. Sir, yes, sir. Wow. Do you realize that's six minutes long? I played the whole thing because I just couldn't stop it. I mean, this guy was unbelievable. I think he made all that up. I mean, I guess it was scripted. I mean, I have the thing here. Stanley Kubrick's initially... uh, Ernie was intended to be only the technical advisor. Kubrick changed his mind after Ernie, Ernie, right, (laughs) put together an instructional tape in which he went on an extended tirade towards several extras, convincing Kubrick he was the right man for the role. Seeking authenticity authenticity for the film, Kubrick allowed Ernie to write or edit his own dialogue and improvise on the set, a notable rarity in a Kubrick film. Kubrick later indicated that Ernie was an excellent performer, often needing just two or three takes per scene, also unusual for a Kubrick film. So this guy was the real deal. Now we know he was an actual gunnery sergeant or, or something, whatever he was. He, you know, he was in the military. But Jesus Christ, that's what makes that movie so powerful is, is his performance. Because as we know, the first 45 minutes of that film is amazing, and you could probably watch it over and over again if you're a, a dude. And the, the last part is uh, just a regular Vietnam War movie. But this part was uh, amazing. And this came out in the 80s. And it felt like they weren't making films like this back then, you know? But that rant and the, the comedy in it, like, I didn't know they stacked shit that high. Are you trying to get an inch taller on me? Something like that, right? And he's like, you better shit me Tiffany Cufflings. I mean, it sounds to me from what I just read that he wrote all that stuff. He was technically writing comedy. I mean, I I mean, is it possible if he got that the thing? I mean, if you think about I know it's just a movie, but if you think that that's truly the way the basic training is or was for those of us who haven't been in the military, especially for the Marines, um. Wow, it's really kind of uh, like an acting job. And I guess he has 
things he's been saying over the year that he remembers to say, kind of like a tell, calling in his video, like, well, here's a fat guy, and I'm going to use this joke. Here's a tall guy, I'm going to use the stack shit that high. If he's from Texas, I'm saying this. I guess he has... I, you know, I don't know whether it's real. I mean, it's got to be... It must be a little bit real because this guy took from his real experience and they said they wanted realism. And that's what... And, and even if it's not real, we certainly want to believe that that's the way it was. And there's nothing... I mean, the guy just even coming up with names... If he's coming up with names for people like on the spot like that, I mean, if there was any truth to that, I mean, that's amazing too because... Then if you're going to see the other members, you kind of have to come up with different names all the time. So really, it's just as good as uh, John Belushi and Animal House. Uh, I state your name. I state your name. Do hereby pledge allegiance to the frat. Do hereby pledge allegiance to the frat. Uh, with liberty and fraternity for all. Amen. Amen. Sergeant at Arms. Do your duty. From now on, your Delta Tau Kai name is Weasel. Uh, from now on, your name is Mothball. Kroger, your Delta Tau Kai name is Pinto. Why Pinto? Why not? Well, what's my Delta Tau Kai name? Dorfman, you've given this a lot of thought. From now on, your name is Flounder. Flounder? Yeah. I mean, really, it's, uh, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, Belushi just made up all those names. It's not going to be an orgy. Um, but again, uh, this guy, uh, Arlie Emery, uh, must have had an amazing sense of humor. I know it doesn't seem like that because he was in, uh, he also, I, I remember him actually, uh, I guess after that, I, I didn't know it was the same guy. Now I'm amazed from I saw Mississippi burning in the theater and, uh, I was like, God, this guy is such an asshole. I, I always remember this line for some reason. Well, this looks like the place to be, even for me. <laughs> yeah. Nothing like a barbershop for a jaw on your socks off. Where are you from, anyway, Anderson? Thornton, Mississippi, sir. Just as fit from Tennessee. Well, then you must know how we all feel down here. We don't take the outsiders telling us how to live our lives. And I'm here to tell you, our Negroes were happy till those beatnik college kids came down here staring things up. Before that, there wasn't anybody complaining. <laughs> Nobody dared. We got a real peaceful little community down here, Anderson. Of course, they're just like any other folks, I reckon, and push them too far. Well, I figure it, uh, it's like three sticks of old dynamite. You shake it up, and we're gonna be scraping bodies off the street. I'm just down here to investigate the missing three kids, ask some questions. Oh, if it's all boiled down to gravy, there wouldn't be enough to cover up a chicken fried steak. Them kids you're looking for, I'd just about bet you a shiny new dime. They're setting up in Chicago right now, drinking a cold beer 
and having a big laugh about all the commotion they've stirred up down here. Well, I sure hope so. I just, I totally remember that line for some reason. Like, not the exact line, but I remember leaving the movie there going like, who's that guy who's just like, well, you can look all you want, but you ain't going to find enough gravy to cover a chicken fried steak. I just, I remember because it was so evil because we know these guys had killed these boys. You know, it's based on true story. And that's Gene Hackman. Yeah, I'm just here to find the missing boys, you know, the good old boys. (laughs) Yeah, it's a horrible Gene Hackman, but uh, it's what I do. And uh, Superman 4, you can see me in Quest for Peace. It's a classic. I play Lex Luthor. And uh, this week I'll be in The Package. Another thriller. Um, but it's funny that that guy got work again because I remember like thinking like when he was in Full Metal Jacket, I'm like, well, this guy is a real sergeant. There was all like, I didn't know he was an actor. Well, I guess he wasn't an actor and I guess he became an actor. And I guess after that performance, people are like, hey, do you want to be the bad guy in this? Do you want to be the bad guy in that? And he was funny, but he obviously had a crazy sense of humor too because, um, he was in a lot of other stuff. Hmm. What in the world, according to Garp? Those are my dress towels. Who's in my private washroom? McGucket, let me in. The door already is closed. What? This is Colonel Leslie Hap, Hap Hapablap. If you don't open that door, I'll tear you up like a Kleenex at a snot party. You say you're in the military? Sweet, I know the gays, son. I'm going to come in there and corpse you up. Corpse you up and mail you to mama. Well, where'd he go? Got my knuckles all lined up for nothing. Sorry, ladies. (laughs) That's from The Simpsons. So how about this guy? He was also on The Family Guy, too. So he had a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, he really uh, lasted a long, a much longer than you would think somebody like that would last. But let's face it, that full metal. You know, a lot of times when you put a performance like that, that's it. That's all you got. Uh, but it looked like he was a little bit. I mean, you know, always kind of playing the same character, but looked like it got him quite a bit of work. And quite frankly, I'm not exactly sure why he didn't. I think was he nominated? I think he was nominated. No, he wasn't nominated. I thought he was nominated for Best Actor. He wasn't even nominated for Best Actor, but I think he was nominated for Golden Globe, maybe. And I'm looking. Oh, he was nominated. He was nominated for a Golden Globe, but he didn't win. But it's one of those years that we were talking about before. So this would be 87, I guess. So, you know, the, the movie's not nominated. The Last Emperor wins, which, by the way, was a great movie really was a great movie. Uh, Bernardo Bertolucci directed that one. You know, that's the, the name you hear, but you never know what he's done. Uh, that's the same year as Fatal Attraction, Moonstruck, Broadcast News. So the best actor that year, ironically, we were talking about him before, is Michael Douglas for Wall Street as Gordon Gecko. He's not going to win. Uh, I don't, was he nominated as a supporting actor, I assume, right? Yeah, supporting actor he was nominated for. So... Michael Douglas wins for Wall Street that year, and we're all okay with that. Look, he was up against William Hurt for broadcast news. Who cares? I mean, that guy's going nowhere. Uh, Marcello Mastrioni, Jack Nicholson for Ironweed, not his best performance ever, and Robin Williams, that idiot, for Good Morning Vietnam. God, I hate Robin Williams. And Michael Douglas wins, and rightly so. 
And that's how Cher won for Moonstruck. I mean, certainly Glenn Close could have won. Must have been a little neck and neck. But Cher won for Moonstruck because she really should have won for Mask the year before. So I think we're okay with that. Um, But the Best Supporting Actor, he wasn't even nominated for an Oscar, but he was up against Sean Connery for The Untouchables. And let's face it, Sean Connery, we all wanted him to win. You didn't want to sit there and not have James Bond win an Oscar for pulling on another performance. Here's a great example, this time of a man who was known for one thing and was able to somehow, I mean, it took a long time, but somehow 20 years later, he was able to become a different character and make these great supporting roles, which actually led him into more leading man roles. But he needed some time to become older and get away from the character. I mean, think about that. And that's why you look at something like that and you just want Daniel Craig to shut up. And you're like, what's the matter with you? You can't see that this sometimes works out. If you're good, it's going to work out. Sean Connery wasn't the best actor we've ever seen, but he's beloved. And he was amazing as James Bond. So in my mind, he's the greatest actor ever. But then he's always cast in this horrible stuff because he's James Bond. We're only looking at him as James Bond. And perhaps he got lucky because there's so many other James Bonds. People just kind of forgot about that. And then they're like, well, he's a different character in this. I'm not thinking of him as James Bond. And he was amazing in The Untouchables. And he was certainly worthy of his Oscar award. And, uh, you know, I think it was warranted as well. And whether it was a Lifetime Achievement Award or not, I'm good with it. But the performance was really good. And he beat out that your Albert Brooks for broadcast news. He doesn't deserve, I mean, he just nominated, not an Oscar. Morgan Freeman in Street Smart. The only thing that was, you know, I, I don't know, for some reason that was good. I think that was like one of his first roles, but that was the one with uh, Superman, Chris Reeves. Uh, Vincent Gardini in Moonstruck, who cares? And Denzel Washington for Cry Freedom. He stinks. Uh, you know how I feel about Denzel Washington. But for the Golden Globes, he was nominated. Uh, Sean Connery won again. Richard Dreyfus was nominated for Nuts. Uh, Morgan Freeman for Smart and Rob Lowe for Square Dance. What the hell's the matter with the Golden Globes? What are they doing? What? Rob Lowe? But let's face it. Sean Connery deserves the Oscar that year. If you gave it to anybody else, it would have to be Arlie Ernie. You're not going to give it. If you gave it to Rob Lowe and Square Dance, I don't know what Square Dance is. I've never heard of it. But if for some fluke, Rob Lowe won over either Sean Connery and the Touchables or Arlie Emery, I don't know what Square Dance is. I'll look it up next time. We have to assume that it stinks. And we have to assume that Rob Lowe, up until The Grinder, was the worst actor anyone's ever seen because he'll never, ever in his life do a scene like this. Jesus H. Christ. Private Pyle, why is your footlocker unlocked? Sir, I don't know, sir. Private Pyle, if there is one thing in this world that I hate, it is an unlocked footlocker. You know that, don't you? Sir, yes, sir. If it wasn't for dickheads like you, there wouldn't be any thiever in this world, would there? Sir, no, sir. Get down! Well, now, let's just see if there's anything missing. Holy Jesus. What is that? What the fuck is that? 
Sir, jelly donut, sir. A jelly donut? Sir, yes, sir. How did it get here? Sir, I took it from the mess hall, sir. Is Chow allowed in the barracks, Private Pie? Sir, no, sir. Are you allowed to eat jelly donuts, Private Pie? Sir, no, sir. And why not, Private Pie? Sir, because I'm too heavy, sir. Because you are a disgusting fat body, Private Pile. Sir, yes, sir. Then why did you hide a jelly donut in your footlocker, Private Pile? Sir, because I was hungry, sir. Because you were hungry. Private Pyle has dishonored himself and dishonored the platoon. I have tried to help him, but I have failed. I have failed because you have not helped me. You people have not given Private Pyle the proper motivation. So, from now on, whenever Private Pyle fucks up, I will not punish him. I will punish all of you. And the way I see it, ladies, you owe me for one jelly donut. Now get on your faces. Open your mouth. They're paying for it. You eat it. Ready? Exercise. One, two, three, four, five, three, four. Oh, my God. That if that scene isn't completely chilling the first time you see it, where you're sitting there, when you're sitting there, he opens, he finds the jelly donut, and you're not going, oh fuck. <laughs> if you're not involved at that point where this thing is so real, and this guy might be one of the greatest actors of our time, and he and he's gone now, so we'll never know if he could hit pay dirt again like that. But uh, I mean, that's unbelievable. That is a terrifying scene knowing that there's some very much realism realism to it. And it's funny that Private Pyle became a very good actor uh, on Law & Order for many years and that Sarah Silverman's in love with him. That's what's even funnier. What the hell's the matter with her? Who finds Private Pyle attractive? This is what makes her a very interesting individual. But I'm telling you, she does. She likes fat, bald, bearded guys. I don't know why. I don't know how, but my sister likes the same thing, and it must have something with being Jewish. I, that's the only connection I could think of. Now, the last thing I want to play is because it's been so integral in my life is this legendary scene that I used to do all the time, which I actually ended up getting suspended for at work, and we used to do it on Turbocharged, the Cars movie, all the time, and I got water thrown in my face for doing it once at somebody's birthday. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Jesus, happy birthday to you. I would go around, what well, my friend Kevin Cash started doing it, and we would just go around with the, he's got his like elbow swinging back and forth. Uh, when he comes in, and you remember, you don't know what it is. You think they're doing "Happy Happy Birthday" for one of the. They're like, "Oh, this is odd," and then you find out it's Jesus, or you realize it's Christmas Day. But we would always do the "Happy Birthday, dear Jesus," and I guess some people don't find that as hilarious as uh, one would think. So I did it for my boss. Uh, I was at her. She had a birthday dinner for a bunch of people in Long Island, Long Beach, Long Island. I'll never forget people were there that I still am working with now 
and I was doing the happy birthday, dear Jesus thing, and I guess I must have just been getting on this girl's nerves. I was just being myself. Some people don't take to it. She ended up throwing a drink in my face and saying, I hope you drop dead and left. And it was totally humiliating. It's like the kind of stuff that never happens to people except in the movies, but it does happen to Dave Juskow. And it was devastating. I mean, I was laughing. Everybody was sitting there in silence. Now, fortunately, my boss and friend never talked to this woman again. It turned out she was crazy, and she never talked to her again. That made me happy because I'd be very embarrassed if it was one of her friends or whatever. But obviously, this woman had a screw loose that we get so angry about a hilarious gag about saying happy birthday to Jesus. What's so bad about that, private? What's the matter? You don't like Jesus Christ? Maybe I'll shit down your throat and show you something else. (laughs) People don't like that. Today is Christmas Day. Today is Christmas. There will be a magic magic show show at 0930. Chaplain Charlie will tell you about how the free world will conquer communism. With the aid of God and a few Marines. God has a hard-on for Marines because we kill everything we see. He plays his games, we play ours. To show our appreciation for so much power, we keep heaven packed with fresh souls. God was here before the Marine Corps. So you can give your heart to Jesus, but your ass belongs to the car. Do you ladies understand? Sir, yes, sir. I can't hear you. Sir, yes, sir. I mean, that's, I mean, that guy must have written that stuff because I can't see Stanley Kubrick, who is a genius of movie making, sitting at his computer at home and being able to write that stuff. There's no way that somebody who hasn't been in the military is going to be able to, and especially if Stanley Kubrick, what was he, in World War I if he wasn't it? I'm pretty sure they didn't talk like that for basic training. So this guy, Arlie Emery, or whatever you pronounce his name, must have written that stuff. As, I mean, and it is powerful shit, and it makes sense. And when you see that movie, you're, I mean, how are you not just thinking, This is definitely how it is. I mean, it fools us. Maybe that's not how it is, but it's the way we think in our minds. Definitely the Marine Corps are. And and just, you know, being like, heaven is filled with fresh souls. I mean, the way he just says it, he's like, look, you're all going to die. We kill people and then we die. And that's the way it is, ladies. You know, I mean, it's. It's heavy stuff that you couldn't write unless you've been uh, unless you were involved with it. And this one guy figured it all out so hail arlie ermery god i don't know why i can't pronounce his name it's stupid that last name is dumb i wish he was here right now i tell him to his face his last name is stupid i'm gonna call him private jackass because his last name is dumb but now i sound like my aunt rita hello sir i told you i do not take beth and david just out as our nieces and nephews they are horrible human beings. I do not want them in our will. Sir, are you listening to a word I say? 
And that's the way it happened. And that's the name of that tune. Which again, is an SCTV thing. Well, I think that's the end of our show today. I mean, we did a pretty nice one, a little, a lot of tributes. You know, we haven't done a tribute show in quite a long time. So we were due three deaths in a one or two week period. Uh, one, well, I don't know. They're three really different kinds of people. One director, one actor, one comedian. No musicians. Yet. So that's our show for today. Now, next time when we come back, uh, I will have gone to uh, Los Angeles. I'll be coming back uh, from Los Angeles. I'll tell you all about that, Las Vegas. And let me tell you, there's some interesting stuff. From what I understand, the uh, uh, the comedy saw the club out in Las Vegas uh, might might be closed by the time I get there. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll, I'll tell you all about it when I return. And then the week after that, we will uh, have our podcast from L.A. with... Uh, our good friend William McLaughlin and our special guest Sharon Houston, uh, who's uh, done uh, nonstop court shows, which could be kind of interesting, I'm hoping. And she's a delight anyway. She's a fun girl. And uh, then it'll be a week uh, with me and, uh, you know, maybe somebody we like just here. And then uh, after that, we will have our podcast with Chris Regan from Family Guy. Family Guy. We'll continue in a moment. And then after that, who knows? We might take a break because it could be Memorial Day by then. We always take a break, a Memorial Day week, and Labor Day week. But that's it. Otherwise, it's non-stop night flies with me, Dave Juskow. We'll see you next time on the show. Have a great week, everybody, and a lovely month of May in this 2018. Good night, everybody. Just that's it.